You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Amen. You can turn your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 2. We're going to be in Jeremiah again this week. It's good to have friends come back home. Um, students are coming back. If you're a, a student and you're new here this morning, thank you for, for being here. Um, Chi Alpha is having a special alumni gathering after the second service. So if you're Chi Alpha alumni, I'm not sure if I see anyone here or not in this service, probably second service. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the seeds that you've sown to the ministry here. Um, that you have sown in, in the years past. Continue to sow, but you don't always get to see the harvest of the seeds that you've sown. And um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for plowing the field. Um, this ministry is 10 years old now, right? 10 years old and uh, just getting ready to gear up the hit back campus hard this year after last year not being able to do anything on campus. Um, we have been in this series, Awakening, all summer long. So you already know what I'm going to say uh, to, as my introduction. But every single one, we believe every single person needs to have their own encounter with the Lord. Um, I can't experience God for you, and you can't experience God for me. I can't go to the well and get you water. Um, you need to go and get the water yourself. And um, what I love about the Lord is that um, he really honors those who are willing to go into the deep places with him. You know, that like God is wanting you, Jesus is wanting to bring you into the depths of, of intimate and fellowship with him. He's wanting to bring you to the depths of intimate fellowship with him. And my kids um, will be on the couch sometimes, and they'll say, Dad, I'm thirsty. And I'll say, awesome. We, my wife is so amazing, she puts cups on the bottom uh, drawer so they can reach the cups, and they can go over, and they can grab a drink for themselves. And they'll say, Dad, I'm thirsty. And I'll say, well, go grab, go grab a drink. She said, Dad, I, I, I don't want to. I'm thirsty. I can't. I'm, we, we taught our daughter this, this phrase as, a little, as like two years old, and it was really cute then, but now it's really annoying. Parched. Uh, and so he's, when she was two, she said, Dad, I'm parched. I'm parched. And now she's seven. And she says, Dad, I'm so parched. <laughs> it's not as cute anymore. Um, we'll say, get up and, and you can go get your, um, go, get, go get a drink. But Dad, I don't want to. I want you to get it for me. And I said, well, how thirsty are you? If you're thirsty enough, then you'll go get it, right? So it is in the kingdom. Sometimes we're, we let our laziness, our complacency say, someone else go to the well for me. When the Lord is inviting each one of us individually to that place to say, come to the well, come to that spring of life, that spring of living water, and come and drink for yourselves. And listen, we owe it to our kids. We owe it to this generation. We owe it to this world when people walk into these doors to not present them with a list of how to do church, but with an invitation to say, come and experience God. Come and experience his presence. Come to know this king who laid down his life so that you could know him eternally. I believe we're in a season in the West where God is, is taking his church back. For too long, we've been content to just play church on Sundays. We've been content to build kingdoms unto ourselves and raise monuments and memorials to men. And God is saying, I'm the king. And too long, we've been like Israel. We're saying, Lord, yeah, God, it's great that you're king, but we want a king like the world. 
Give us a Saul. Give us someone who's tall, dark, and handsome that can make us cry and make us laugh. And the Lord is saying, I want to be, be your king. And I believe the Lord is bringing us back to that place of saying, I am your king. King Jesus is our king. This is not Pastor Drew's church. This is my, not my church. This is not your church. This is King Jesus' church. Amen? This is his church. And so again, as a people, we can't control what any other church does, but we can say here in this place, King Jesus is our king. He is our king. He is our king. And he will always sit on the throne. But like we talked about last week at the beginning of Je- Jeremiah chapter 2, we have this propensity towards wandering. We're prone to wander, as the hymn says. Waywardness. And the Lord begins by speaking to the people of Israel, by remembering their devotion. And last week, I, I talked to us more individually um, about our hearts for God. And how in this passage of Scripture, he says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me, and you followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. You were holy to the Lord, the first fruits of my harvest. And all who devoured you were held guilty, and disaster overtook them. The Lord is reminiscing about this time when there was that first love, love, that first love devotion. Those early years. And then he said something happened. You began to wander. Your eyes began to be fixed and focused on other things. You began to worship empty and pointless things. And this week, I, I, I want to look less through the, the individual lens and more through the church lens. You know, when you give your life to the Lord, the gospel is that Jesus laid down his life for us to pay for our sin so that our sin can be washed away. Right? Amen. That's good news for us. And that should never get old. But that's not the whole gospel. That's only part of it, right? The other part is that he washed our sins away so that the Holy Spirit could live inside of us. And that the Holy Spirit could come upon us and not lift. And that is salvation. That is the subsequent gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then there's something that happens when a people collectively come in one accord before the Lord and say, God, would you fall on us? Would you pour out your rain upon us, Lord? And God comes upon a people. This is not, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about when God pours himself out on a people and does something unique. When people outside of this place get drawn in to what God is doing. When God's power and presence are made known to all who are witnessing it. And I've been praying for that. Lord, would you just, we want a torrential downpour. We don't want just like a little Holy Spirit drizzle every once in a while. God, but be poured out so that a river, that a river begins to flow that never stops. So in verse 5, does that make sense? We're going to pivot from looking through that individual lens to more of a church-wide lens. In verse 5, it says, this is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols, and they themselves became, or, and, and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts, 
and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. But I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? The, one who deal, the ones who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. We'll stop there for now. Again, like we said last week, they started at, uh, the Lord's asking this rhetorical question. What fault did your ancestors find in me? Did I disappoint them? Did I forsake them? Did I leave them? Did I let them down? Obviously, we know the answer is no. The problem is, is that they begin to follow other things, worthless idols. And like we said, you become like what you worship. If you worship the things of this world, you will become empty like the things of this world. But if we, we worship an everlasting God, he will begin to speak his value and our worth. And so they, be, no, so they, they, they begin to wander, and no one stopped to ask, where's the Lord? Is God a part of any of this? Is God a part of any of this? Did he depart from us? Did we depart from him? Listen, as Israel, what, what distinguished Israel from all other nations was that they followed and loved the only true God. And so to, to, to fall away from that, to go wayward from that, they lose anything that distinguishes them from the world, and they become just like the world. He begins to ask, continue with that question, but who is it that led you through the barren land, through the deserts and ravines, the drought and utter darkness? And then he reminds him, he says, oh, it, it was me. <laughs> it was me. It wasn't you. We can read in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where Moses is warning of this very thing. And I'm paraphrasing, but he says, there, there's going to come a day when you're going to have your fine houses, when your cattle is going to multiply, when your grain bins are going to be full and overflowing, when you'll have everything that you need. And on that day, you'll forget the Lord. On that day, you'll say, it's by my power and by my strength that I've attained all these things. And you'll forget the Lord your God. In the United States, we've experienced incredible blessing and freedom in worshiping. But I believe in a lot of ways we've taken it for granted and taken advantage. And we've said, Lord, we can, have, we can actually have church and we don't even need you to show up. We can create an atmosphere of your presence, but we don't actually need your presence. But you know, atmospheres don't change anybody. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that will ever change anyone's heart, anyone's life. And it's that which distinguishes us from the world. In John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. A number of years ago, I took a group of students to the island of Tobago. And Tobago is a very um, religious island. Um, a lot of people, it's like a lot of places where a lot of people are just going through the motions and like Christian by name only. And so People knew a lot of information, but not necessarily having any relationship with the Lord. And it was really frustrating. I remember one night going out with a group of students, and we're just trying really hard <laughs> to see something happen. 
I remember praying for this woman. She couldn't walk. I remember praying for this woman, and nothing happened. So I was like, let me just, I'll try a little harder. Maybe I'll raise my voice this time, and that'll, that'll work, right? Begin to pray, and nothing happened. And you know, I'm, uh, I've been walking with the Lord long enough to know that, that sometimes that happens, but this was different. It was like I was trying to muster something within myself. I got to show these students how spiritual I am. Well, the next morning, every morning, we'd have an extended time of worship. And Miss Nicole, our children's director, was a freshman in college that year. And the wisdom in which she speaks now was there then as a freshman. And during that worship time, she got up. She says, the Lord wants us to focus on him. Some of you in this room were there. She says, the Lord wants us to focus on him and him alone. And we need to have a love for people just because he wants to make them whole. Not so that we can have a cool story or watch God do cool things but that love, God's love would compel us. And something shifted, and all of our attention went from trying to make things happen in our own accord and fixing our eyes on Jesus and saying, Jesus, it's all about you. It's all about you, King Jesus. You're the king. And that day, everything changed as we went out. We would go out door to door, and we would just pray for people. That was the agenda. We would just pray. We didn't have any, we weren't trying to sell them anything or, or get them to do anything. We just wanted to pray for them and allow God to speak. We came, I was out with a, a, a student named Weston, and we went to this, this first house, and there was a woman outside with a machete, and she's cutting the weeds down, but it's kind of intimidating sharing the gospel with someone holding a machete, right? You're like, I hope, I, I hope it's not like in the book of Acts where they drive me out of the town with them. But she had this machete. She wanted nothing to do with us. Well, we had these little bracelets that we would hand out to the kids, that would be basically like different colors that would explain the gospel. And so her little girl came and Weston asked if he could give her one of these bracelets and she said yes. And then this, this old woman came out of the house and she sits down and she waves me over. She says, come. And uh, so I go over and I start talking to her. And I said, we don't want anything. We just want to pray for you. Is there anything that we could pray for? She said, oh, yes, yes. This last October, my, my husband passed away unexpectedly, and I've just been, this, been this, this hole, this grief, this, this deep, deep grief that I've been experiencing. And she said, and for years I've had stomach issues where I've had surgery after surgery after surgery, and I have just, just continual pain. Nothing relieves the pain. Right now, I have this pain. And so I, I said, Mama, do you know Jesus? And she said, oh, yes, I've walked with the Lord for many, many years. She said, in fact, this morning I was praying. And I asked the Lord, Lord, when is my breakthrough coming? She, and the Lord said, today. Said, and, and she looked at me and smiling. She said, and here you are. Begin to pray over this woman. And allow King Jesus just to minister to her. And you saw the joy of the Lord come upon her. And we watched as um, the pain just left her stomach. And she began to laugh. And then Weston came over, and she looked up, and she goes, wow, you have the face of a movie star. <laughs> because he does. He's very handsome. And we went to the next house, and this little girl who, with, who was with us in this first house followed us. And all of the little other kids would come out of the houses to meet their friend, and then they would bring us back to their house to pray with their families. And it's so like the Lord to use kids. So we are just like the, the inroad to all of these different homes, praying and praying and praying with people, one after the other. Till it was the last 
It was getting dark. The sun was going down. I said, Weston, we got to go back. And he said, just one more. <laughs> just one more. And there was, this old, there was this woman. She was outside watering her plants. And we asked if we could pray for her. And she said, she said yes, but, but really it's her daughter who needs prayer. So she said, I'm going to go get my daughter. And she went in inside for a very long time. And we waited outside. I said, man, I think we got to go. And finally she came out with her young with her probably 18 or 19-year-old daughter and said, come over here onto our, our patio and we'll pray. And so she sat down and she began to tell us the things that she was dealing with and struggling with. And this young, young girl was just tormented day and night by demonic spirits. She would have visions and, and, and even with her eyes open, she would see like demonic figures crawling on the wall. She couldn't sleep at night. The doctors would put her on all sorts of medication and she was just tortured day and night. And I asked her if she gave her life to Jesus, and she said, I, I've tried that, just like Josh said, I've tried that. That's what got me into this mess. There's these people that are called spiritual Baptists on the island. They're people who took the Christianity and like this African-type voodoo and mixed them together. It's very demonic. And that's what got, she said, that's what got me in this position. And I said, well, if God freed you from this, would you give your life to him? She said, I would. And so we began to pray. It was like this beautiful night in Tobago, just so calm. And we began to pray. And again, it was just like, Lord, just come and do what you want to do. And so we began to pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you just come? Thank you for this young woman. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, you free her from all these things that are tormenting her. And it was amazing. This like breeze kind of came up. It was like this breeze, but it was like this. It just like washed over her. And I saw her take a deep breath. And exhale, and exhale, exhale, and then we left. And, you know, it's times like that you don't always get to see the fruit. You don't get to see what happens. Well, the next day there were two others from our group that went out to that same neighborhood, and they were walking through this neighborhood, and this young woman came running out, and she said, Tony and Weston, and they're like, we're not Tony and Weston. And she said, you look all the same to me. <laughs> She said, uh, will you tell them, will you tell them that last night I slept through the night for the first time in months? She said, I haven't seen any of the things that I've seen for, for the last few years. And I feel like the Lord freed me. And she said, I gave my life back to Jesus this morning. Amen. Listen, we can come with wise and persuasive words. We can try to twist people's arm into the kingdom. But those things that, that we, those, those tactics that we use to, to get them in are what we're going to have to use to sustain it. But when it's Jesus, do you know that he can sustain anything? Jesus can take a life and keep it. Without his presence, we have nothing. And so we need to ask that question, where is the Lord? When we gather together on a Sunday, is the Lord here? Is he present? Or are we just carrying on? Kidding ourselves. Is the Lord here? He goes on to say in verse 8, the priest did not ask, where is the Lord? So the people were not asking, where is the Lord? But the leaders were not asking, where is the Lord either? Those who, who deal with the law did not know me. Those who were supposed to be the experts, those who were, who were supposed to be protecting the flock, were not asking these questions, where is the Lord? Is God with us? Is God's hand upon this? Are we just going about our business and hoping God, the, God will bless it? 
Are we being, being led by the presence of God? Are we following his leading? Listen, I, I, I weep for leaders, and it's difficult to lead, but listen, we need leaders who are more concerned with the prayer closet and less concerned with the green room. We need leaders who will die daily, take up their cross and follow Jesus. We need leaders that will say, Lord, if you're not with me, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this, God. I don't want to build a kingdom to myself. I don't want to try to build a tower to heaven to impress the world. But instead, say, God, where are you going? In Isaiah 30, I wasn't going to go here, but we're going to go here. There's this, again, another prophecy, the Lord speaking. In chapter 30 and verse 10, it says, They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get out of the path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. This is describing that pharisaical heart. Pharisees wanted to keep Jesus at a distance because Jesus coming into their life, into their, all these, these kingdoms that they've, they've built would disrupt and turn everything over. Their influence might not be as great. Their control and manipulation might not be as great. We've got to keep, stop confronting us with this holy one of Israel. Tell us pleasant things. Lie to us. A good friend will tell you the truth, amen? A good friend will tell you if your fly is down, if you've got something in your teeth, I consider you a good friend. If you tell me that, you all have permission, right? I was going to say something else, but I'm not going to. We need pastors and leaders who are willing to go to the depths in God's presence and his spirit and be led of him so they can lead and protect well, not prophesy illusions. In verse 10, he continues on, and, and the Lord says, Cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look. Send a Kedar and observe closely. See if there's a, ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror. From heaven's perspective, this is like unfathomable. How could you trade something inco so compre incomprehensible for something so temporal? And that's what it says they did. They said, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Other versions say your glory, but it means the same thing. That which distinguishes us from the world is the glory and presence of God. It what, it's what gives us significance. It what, it's what makes, gives us value is Jesus. So if we take that away from our life, we're not any different from the world. But they exchange it. Have you ever, uh, you ever made a bad deal in your life? You ever bought something and said, that was a mistake. That was a waste of money. I got hoodwinked there. I got bamboozled, as it were. I bought a car last year, and it was a total dud. It was a waste of money. We've all been to that place. But I don't think any of us willingly make bad deals. We're never like, this is 
I know this is a bad deal, but I don't care. I want to waste my money. I want to be frustrated by this car that doesn't run the way that it's supposed to or buy something fake or inauthentic. No one goes out doing those things. But he says, but my people have done this. They've exchanged their glory or their glorious God for worthless idols, for emptiness, for pointless things. The worship team, you can come. I got to close. There's a stewarding that needs to happen as a people where each one of us is responsible. Each one of us takes responsibility for our part when we come before the Lord as we gather, that we come with a hunger and a purity of heart that says, Lord, we want you. We want you. We want you. And it's then when God's presence falls in a mighty way. In verse 13, he says this, and then we're going to stop. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So there's two things. There's two sins. One, they've forsaken the spring of living water, and two, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns. So this was a common practice back in these days. It was a very arid climate. So they would carve these cisterns into limestone. So they collect, collect the rainwater. It was considered responsible and wise. But listen, if there was a spring on your land or near you, that was an invaluable gift. And you might go on a trip away from that spring, but you would return to that place because you would be silly to give up that spring and instead turn to cisterns where you could have dank, old rainwater. And these, these cisterns that the Lord is describing are broken cisterns. They don't even do what, they're suppo what they want them to do. They don't even hold the water. He says, you forsake in the spring of living water. Water throughout scripture is a metaphor for God's spirit, his presence. God's presence can be described as a, as, a, as a rain that comes. We can't manufacture God's presence. We can't twist his arms or manipulate him. When the rain comes, we need to enjoy the rain. But we get sustaining power in faithfulness, continued moves of his presence through the spring of living water. I think oftentimes the Lord falls and the rain falls upon us. We have these moments where God, with Sunday night where God's presence comes. And it's kind of like we want to take a Tupperware and put his presence in there and be like, I just want to save some for later. Maybe this will help me later in the week. But you leak. You're a broken cistern. The only way, it's a principle of the kingdom. If you want to keep what God's given you, you've got to ask for more. That's where the spring of living water comes. That as a people, we'd say, God, we do want your rain. We want your rains to fall. But even more than that, we want a spring of your spirit to bubble up in this place, in Jesus' name. That never stops. That never stops. What does Jeremiah 17 says? It says, blessed is the man who trusts the Lord and whose hope is in him. He shall be like a tree planted 
by the water, whose roots go out to the what? The streams. I don't want a flash in the pan move of God. We want a sustaining, deep-rooted movement of God's Spirit in this city. Amen? Let's stand across this place. I want the Lord to help us. I want him to turn our, to recalibrate our, our value system. And, and, and in many ways, we, we really value people's giftings. We value charisma. But all those things are gifts from the Lord, which means that they're from him. So he's not impressed by them. But what impresses God? Faith purity of heart, faithfulness. I know that we would value those things. I was just reminded this week with everything happening in, in Afghanistan right now that there was a pastor that I heard who led, who was in Afghanistan, who led a, a young man to the Lord. And the young man said, the scripture says that I should be baptized. Will you baptize me? And he said to the young man, he said, if I baptize you, they'll kill me. And the young man said, yes, but the Lord said that I need to get baptized. So will you baptize me? And this pastor baptized this young man and they killed him. Both. And oftentimes when I think about the hall of fame of heaven, you think about who we'll see there one day. And many of those people that we will think, Oh, they were on the cover of magazines and they were the, they were the, the big deal of, of that hour. They're not up there. But who's that guy? Oh, that was that Sunday school teacher who served faithfully every single week for years and years and years with no one patting him or her on the back. But that was a young man who gave his life for this gospel. Oh, this guy over here, he, they, they, they smuggled Bibles into China. There are men and there are heroes of the faith that we'll never know their names until we reach heaven. And so we say, God, as a church, would you, would you recalibrate what we value? Lord, we don't want any other king but you, Jesus. We don't want any other king but you, Jesus. We only want you. So would you lead us and guide us? Lord, would you, the, the thought of complacency and coasting be disgusting to us, Lord. But every single day we'd say, Lord, I've taken up this cross. I'm dying to myself and I'm following you, Jesus. We won't follow after worthless things that will make us worthless. But we pursue the only one who gives us significance, the only one who gives us value, and that's you, King Jesus. It's only you, God. You're the only thing that can make a difference in this region. You're the only one who can change the nation of the Netherlands. You're the only one, Jesus. You're our only hope. And that's actually good news because if it's all dependent on us, we're destined to fail before we even started. But with you, God, all things are possible. All things are possible. So Lord, I increase our faith this morning. God, purify our hearts before you that we would long and, and desire the right things, God. That our eyes wouldn't be distracted by shiny things. But we'd long for the purity of your word, the purity of your presence 
that we would be a people that said, Lord, if, you don't wanna, if you're not with us, we don't want to go. If you're not going to lead us, we're not going to move. We just want you, Jesus. We just want you. No one else, nothing else. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.